So Jesus definitely knows your name. Jesus definitely knows your tears. And when you know someone's name, it kind of provides access for you, or if someone knows your name. Like if your name's on the list of a basketball game or a restaurant or something, and you go, oh, our name's on the list, right? Oh, we'll come right in. Enjoy, right? Come on in. We, your name's there. You other people, we don't know your name. You can't come in. But you, we know your name. So names provide access. Names provide uh, the ability to, be, to know and to be known. Names provide intimacy. When you know someone's name and someone knows your name, there's a different level of relationship there. Like when you're in ministry for a long time and working in churches, maybe in your line of work, you try hard to remember people's names, right? And it can be challenging, especially when everyone's wearing a mask uh, or you haven't seen them in a year and you have to remember their name. So, but you really do try hard. I've had friends in churches that they'll, they'll turn and write, write down the names they just heard, which I think is a bit much. I think that looks sort of strange, taking a note. But um, you, you do what you can to try and remember people's names. Because it, it's, a, it's a sign of love. It's a sign of compassion, of care, of concern. Um, it does breed intimacy with a relationship, of course. Like when I was a youth minister, youth minister for so long, um, I worked really hard trying to remember people's names, teenagers' names, and I didn't always get it right. So sometimes you default to, hey, what's up, man? Bro! What's up, dude? What's up, girl? Because, you know, and then you turn to someone and go, now what was their name again? And you try and remember it, you know, you really do try hard. Now, sometimes you don't always get it right. I remember one time a friend of a friend was coming for a while, and, and kids can be really blunt. And this girl looked at me in the face, and she said, you don't remember my, my name, do you? And I said, Lauren. And she said, no. Tiffany, no. Aiden, Caden, Jaden, Hayden, no. I said, tell me your name, and I never forgot it after that. Um, but so, yeah, it's good to remember people's names, because when you remember someone's name, you remember their story, you remember who they are, you remember where they came from. I mean, our names tell a lot about who we are, our names tell about our history, our genealogy. Like if your last name is Shoemaker, you may have been making shoes at some point in the past. If your last name is Smith, you're probably smithing something somewhere. My last name in Gaelic apparently means farm of many wells. So I got that going for me, which is nice in my past. But our names mean different things. But our, our name tells a lot about somebody. And when you know someone's name, you're telling them that I care about who you are, where you came from, and your story Everything about you, it matters. And the best news is, is that Jesus knows all of our names. And he knows all of our tears. Just like he did with Mary at the tomb. Just by speaking her name, he brought healing to her. And he didn't chastise her for her tears. He didn't make her feel stupid about crying. But he was patient with her in her grief. Because Mary was so consumed with grief that she was like blinded. She couldn't even recognize Jesus was right there in front of her. She thought he was a gardener. She was so consumed with it, she felt like she was in a fog. And sometimes in our lives, we need a touch from God. Amen? We need God to speak somehow, some way, through us, in us, to let us remind us that he's there. And he is there. He's closer than he's ever been probably. He's probably right next to you right now. But sometimes in life, we need that fresh touch from God that we hear his voice, even hear our name, that God listens. And when Jesus says to Mary her name, 
He's saying more than her name. He's saying, I see you. I acknowledge you. I recognize that you are here and you matter to me. And the same thing is when we, when we remember people's names. And the fact that God, Jesus knows your name. He's saying to you, you matter to me. I value you. You're important to me. And we're going to look at John chapter 20 today. And in this passage, it's really an extrapolation of what we saw last week of Matthew 28. Because the gospel of John came, was written at last. It was written after Luke. Mark was first probably think then Luke, and then Matthew, and then John. And so John, if you read it, it's a totally different angle and everything else, because John read Mark, he probably read Matthew, and he goes, okay, that's all true, but I know this, this, and this happened. He taught this, so I'm going to add this to the account. And everyone was alive at that point, and they could read it and go, no, that's not, that didn't happen. So we know that legend has, did not creep into the, the biblical accounts. So John is giving us Matthew 28, which we saw last week, Mary, Magdalene, and Mary go to the tomb. An angel comes, rolls the stone back. I would like to witness that. And then the angel says, he's not here. God sent me to you to tell you the tomb is empty. God wants you to see it visually. And then you need to go tell the disciples what happened. And so that's what, that's what John tells us briefly. But then John gives us a new snapshot. Mary then goes back to the empty tomb. She runs ahead. Guys, I think I put the wrong, the wrong, some of the wrong verses in here, so I'm going to read it. That's totally on me. I'm calling an audible. My bad. Um, so she runs back to the tomb, and there she meets two more angels. They're inside the tomb. She is still consumed with grief and overwhelmed. She sees where his body used to be, and she wants to know where it is she doesn't get the fact that even though the angel told her he's alive, it's still not registering. She's still clinging to her wounds, to her grief, to her, her sorrow. And so how many of us today know the Easter story, we know Jesus is alive, but we're still holding on to some pain or mourning or wounds in light of the fact that he's probably standing right there. And so Jesus knows your name, he knows your tears, and he's right here. And I think he maybe wants some of us to let go of that, to grieve that stuff. But the moment we, we hear him say our name, may it all pass away, either in this life or the life to come. This is John chapter 20, starting in verse 11, not verse 1. Again, my B. Starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. So she's going back to the tomb after she was already there. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. She's asking Jesus where Jesus is. Isn't that hilarious? Jesus, where's your body? So I can help you. So, where, so I can take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And she grabbed onto him and began to worship him. 
So Jesus indeed knows your name. He indeed knows your tears. And there's different types of tears. There's different types of crying, right? There's the ugly cry, right? You know the ugly cry? I've done the ugly cry a few times when your face transforms briefly uh, when, you're, when you're crying. There's the happy cry, which is that weird, you feel a little bit insane. You're happy, but you're crying at the same time, fine line of the two. There's also um, just the general sad cry, mourning cry, which we're seeing here with Mary, just the deep, deep, deep mourning and, and woundedness. Now, this week, I went on Facebook and I asked guys, guys, when is it okay for you to cry? Because I want, I don't, I'm not subscribed to that, that idea of manhood that we're just the strong, silent type and, and I just keep it all bottled up. You know, I, I, think, I think we should be in touch with that side. And so I wanted to ask guys, when is it okay for you to cry? And I got way more responses than I ever thought I'd get. Like, people coming out of the woodwork, even some women messaged me privately to say, uh, this, this, and this. It was hilarious. I'll tell you about it in a second. So a lot of guys said, um, a lot of guys said a very man answer, a very pragmatic answer, which is, uh, whenever I feel like crying, you know, whenever, whenever the mood strikes me, okay, whenever I feel like it, super practical answer. Whenever it's pr- pragmatic for me to cry, I cry. And so it's true, it's good. You know, whenever you feel like it, you feel like it. Someone gave a really good answer, which is whenever I see someone realize their potential or have some sort of breakthrough in your, their life, right? Like that's what, absolutely, I, that's a great way to put it. I've seen that happen where you see someone achieve something, they went through a hardship and they overcame it. Like that, you feel that, right? You feel that. Like when you watch those videos of like the military families getting reunited, you know, like the dads dressed up like a mascot at their kid's school or whatever, and they run across, like, oh, man, this thing's getting me every time. Uh, last night, I was watching Moana with my children. Moana gets me, okay? I'm just being honest here, being open and real. Moana got me last night. I've seen it like six times, but uh, Moana. Other people said, of course, their wedding. Their wedding was a big day where they felt that. When they hold their children for the first time, I was like Mr. Waterworks with my babies. I just couldn't stop. I just, I don't know, it was the weirdest, not the weirdest thing, but I just couldn't stop crying when you hold your children. Someone else said, I'll just go in the closet, turn the lights out, and be alone, right? And hey, at least you're crying, at least you're feeling, right? At least you're, you're processing something in that way, that's great. But you need to know too, if that's you, God is with you in that closet, okay? You're not alone. Don't feel like you need to hide that. And, and that's what someone said though. Other guys said, when I watch certain movies, one person said the movie Brian's Song, right? Yeah, I saw a thumbs up back here. I've never seen Brian's Song, even though I'm a Wake Forest guy. Sorry, Dad. I Maybe mean, I should watch Brian's Song. Um, another guy said uh, Top Gun, when Goose hits the uh, cockpit, right? Sorry to spoil the movie for you, but Top Gun. Someone else said uh, Armageddon, when Bruce Willis uh, is such a martyr and he dies for all of our sins. Remember that part of Armageddon? Um, so yeah, you feel this movie, certain things bring it out. Um, for me, uh, Toy Story 3, when they're going toward the flame, man, it's going to get me, man. Or the end of The Notebook, I'm just being honest, The Notebook gets me, it got me. So I'm not going to judge you, but if you don't cry at those things, you're kind of a monster. But other than that, you're great. Um, it, someone else said, it's, it's, uh, I, I do, I've cried at sporting events. Now, I'm a, I'm a big sports guy. I love all types of sports. I've never, I've never cried at a sporting event. I just never invested myself emotionally, I guess. I felt deep anger and sorrow certain times, for sure. But I've never cried. I've just never cried at a game or whatever. Um, 
Now, but some people said you can cry if you're on the field and you're playing in the game and you win, right? And then, oh yeah, then you can cry. But if you lose, you can't cry because you look like a crybaby. Um, and a, a woman messaged me and said, guys, you can never cry during an argument. She said, that's kind of our thing, okay? <laughs> so if you start crying too, there's never gonna, we're never gonna meet, meet everyone's we're not gonna understand each other, right? So, but the angels and Jesus both ask repeatedly to Mary, woman, why are you crying? She gets asked by an angel, she gets asked that by two angels, and then Jesus asked her, why, why are you crying? And I'm like, don't they know? Jesus has died. His body's gone. Of course she's crying. But you see, from the context of what they're asking, she doesn't get what they're saying. They're not, they're not, um, they're not patronizing her. They're purely spiritual beings. They see the full context bigger of what Jesus has accomplished. They live and exist outside of this realm in which we live right now. They can move in and out of earth into the spiritual realm. They see the bigger story of what Jesus has accomplished. And it's such a God question, though. It's not hateful. It's not judgmental. But he's wanting her to decide it for herself. Mary, woman, why are you crying? He's not here. He's alive, just as we told you. He's alive. But even in her grief... It's so great in that moment of her life, she still can't see Jesus right in front of her. Because it's true. When we're in times of grief, it feels like you're in a a fog. It feels like you have blinders on, right? So God understands that. God knows that grief is powerful in that way. And so he knows that, and he wants her to come around in her own way. I mean, maybe she was so consumed with the body and finding the body and and all of that, because that was the one thing she knew she could hold on to, right? It was the tangible part of him that she could find again. And maybe it was a Jewish thing. Maybe it was, I want to take care of it and do the right burial practices or, or whatever. I mean, it was concern. It was love that was driving her. I mean, maybe it was like a Thomas thing. Later in John 20, Thomas famously says, hey, if I don't see the holes in Jesus, I'm not going to believe. And what does Jesus do? Walks through a locked door and shows him. Maybe it's like that with Mary. Until I see this, I'm just not, I can't process this. And how could she? If I was in that place, I'd probably feel the same way too. It's a little bit overwhelming what's occurring to them in this story. But then what does Jesus do? He just says her name. And as soon as he, that's all he has to do. Somehow the blinders come off and she sees him for who he is. And she embraces him. But he doesn't judge her in her tears. He doesn't judge her in her grief. He doesn't make her feel stupid. Because grief is really, um, grief is love persevering. And that's the, the heart of what she's feeling. Because throughout the scriptures, God has a heart for those who are brokenhearted, who are full of mourning. If you read the Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, I mean, you can go on and on. There's all these verses about God being with those who are humble and contrite in spirit that have broken hearts, that says that God is near to you when you were in those places in your life. He's close to you. He's always close, but he's really close. Look at Psalm 56, 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. Think about that. All of us. God knows all of our sorrows. 
You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. The fact that God knows our pain in detail. God knows Mary's pain. He, he felt the fullness of what she was feeling. You know, and even in the book of Romans, Paul writes that the Spirit of God grieves along with us like a woman in labor. That the Spirit of God, in a sense, prays through us when we're grieving or we're laboring in prayer or we are burdened for something or we're brokenhearted. That, that God is with us in those moments. There's a mystery to that. But the Spirit of God can, in a sense, lead us in our grief to times of transition. Like, when you're in a moment of sorrow and grief like Mary is, you can feel like it's hopeless, right? You just feel like it's never going to get better. I just went through a divorce. Worst thing I've ever done, right? Just lost a loved one. It's never going to get better. You can go on and on. And, you, and you, it feels hopeless. But God's word is telling us, though, that even in those moments, tears aren't meant to tether us, but tears are meant to lead us to a time of transition. You get one step closer to a time of healing through those tears. Like Mary, we won't be stuck in our, in our grief forever because God knows this. He knows we weep because we care. When you go to a funeral, I say this at funerals too, I say this to family who are mourning and they're, they're deep loss, right, you know, understandably. I said to people, we are here because of love, right? We're here because we love each other. We love this person. So let's not forget that. Mary is grieving because she loves God, because she loves Jesus. Grief is love persevering. Psalm 126.5 is like one of the, my favorite psalms. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. That again, tears don't lead us to a place of being tethered, but to times of transition. That through our sorrow, through our grief, it is not the end of where you are in your life. It's never the end. God is better than we can imagine and see or even taste right now. His plans for you and for me go beyond description. I think a lot about what's it going to be like the day that I move on, that I go on to the next life. I think about that a lot. I probably, you probably do too. And I really believe this. It will be better than you can imagine. There will be so much joy in your heart and the people that you encounter again. It will be indescribable. So in Psalm 126, when it says those, you're planting in tears now, the earth is a place of tears. It is. But God says, Revelation 21, that God will wipe away every tear. I will dry every eye. I will heal every disease. There will be no more sorrow or crying or death or pain. None of that exists in God's economy in the kingdom of God beyond this one. Like Mary, we do weep because we care. But we, when we weep, we are one step closer to healing than we were yesterday. We can also have godly mourning or weeping over our own sins. And that's actually a good thing. It's actually good when we feel that. And actually the Spirit of God can lead us in a way that um, makes us, kind of leads us into repentance. John Wesley believed that uh, repentance is, is a gift of God. It's the grace of God at work in our lives. Because when we feel that godly sorrow for what we have done, 
it, it makes the grace shine all the greater. It shows the problem so that we can then appreciate the solution. And it's the spirit of God working within us in this way, leading you in repentance, a godly sense of grieving, not just for your own sin, of course, but also for the sins of your people, for the sins of our neighborhoods, for the sins of our cities, to have a godly sense of grieving and mourning for the places in which we live, to intercede, if you will, over these places, the Spirit of God moving through us. This is our Wesleyan heritage, y'all. This is what Wesleyans have done for decades, centuries. We've prayed for the healing of the world constantly. And we have said, oh yeah, this neighborhood over here is broken and messed up. We're going to claim it in Jesus' name. We're going to claim it and pray over it and pray for the kingdom of God to come into that place and change it. Because society isn't changed by rules and laws and more taxes. It's changed when human lives are transformed a life at a time. That is when society is transformed one life at a time, a light coming on. You know, just this week, we're, we're passing out flyers to um, people around the neighborhoods to invite them to the drive-in movie on Friday. And we always do that every time we, you know, plan these. And so um, we walk probably within a half mile of here. I'll walk over this way. And this time I decided to walk a little bit deeper than I had before. And I was just walking around and I came across a corner and I smelled, I felt a skunk had sprayed something. And I was like, oh, I hadn't smelled that smell in many years. It wasn't skunk. Some people were just smoking joints right out on the street. And when I went up and talked to him, I gave him an invitation, said, we'd love to have you at the drive-in movie. Went around another corner, people sitting on the front just drinking whiskey up having beer, one o'clock on a Thursday. Now, I'm not judging them. I'm not judging. But I'm saying, this is right here. And if we're looking for a mission field, God has given it to us. These are people that God knows their name. God knows their tears. God knows what they've been through. And if churches are to grow in the future, it will not be by pretending it's not there. And so like Mary... When Jesus appears to her and he says her name, what does she do? She clings to him. She just immediately grabs onto him and doesn't let go. How beautiful is that? She falls at his knees. She grabs his feet. Now, this is a sign of divinity. This is a sign of God being God. If someone receives worship, they're God. He doesn't turn her away. You know, he does say, don't cling to me because I'm getting ready to go to the Father, but he doesn't turn away her worship because that's who Jesus is. He's God. He, he receives her worship and he has since says to her, yes, cling to me. Cling to me. You're going to need me in your life. Lift up my name above your name. And when you do that, you'll find healing in the midst of your trial. Lead, call out for my name for healing for yourself, for your nation, for your neighborhoods, for your cities, for your schools. Do it. Pray. Call out for my name. As we go into this next song, it's called He Knows My Name. It is such a good song. And that he walks with us, that he's with us, that he knows our name. And as we think about and sing this song, I invite you to think about is there any secret pain that you are holding on to that you don't feel like you can show to anybody else? What do you want only show behind a closed door that you only should bring to God today? Jesus said that the Father in heaven is looking for people who will go to a room, close the door, and do that. He's actually looking for you. 
He's looking for you to be intimate with him and to be real, just to be real. But life's too short to be like, oh, I'm a man, I don't do that. I mean, life's just too short to not be real with God and to see that he has actually been walking with you every step of the way. And he's with you in that closet when you think no one's watching. He's with you in that place that's broken and, and messed up. He's been walking with you every single time. Let's pray together.